You are listening to Young Black Equestrians, the podcast, with your hosts, Abriana Johnson and Caitlin Gooch. As Black businesses deal with systemic financial and racial injustices, the Black Equestrian Network serves as a central location to highlight the services and businesses owned and operated by Black horse people. Whether you identify as a cowboy, equestrian, horseman, or horsewoman, the Black Equestrian Network is an industry green book aiming to empower, uplift, and highlight Black equestrians across the globe. To learn more about this powerful resource, visit www.blackequestriannetwork.org. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Young Black Equestrians with your hosts, Abriana Johnson. And Caitlin Gooch. Today we have Celine here, or otherwise known on Instagram as the Plus Size Equestrian, and we are going to hear from her about her experiences in the horse industry. So welcome, Celine. Welcome, welcome. So happy to be here. All right, so let's just go ahead and get started. Uh, just tell us about yourself, where you're located, and what you ride. Yes, so I'm located in San Francisco, California, um, although occasionally also in Massachusetts when I'm at school. Um, I've been riding since I was a little kid. I've dabbled in a lot of different disciplines. Um, I started out hunter jumper, and then I did some eventing when I went to boarding school, and then I lived in France for a while and did l'équitation classique there. And then I studied in Mongolia and did like dabbled in traditional Mongolian riding. Um, and then I came back and just did English pleasure. And then um, recently I've gotten really into side saddle. I love it. It's, it's honestly the best thing in the world. So I love that. Um, and along with just, I'm happy to basically try anything I possibly can. Okay. We're going to have to back up. Right. Are you sure the list doesn't go on? <laughs> right. Like, so let's start from the top. Okay. I heard <laughs> France. What, what, and why were you in France and what made you do French things, French horse things? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was 17, I, I studied in France. Um, so I lived there my junior year of high school with an amazing host family. And, um, I wasn't going to stop writing. You know, I, I loved writing. Um, and it actually turned out to be a lot easier to get to the barn in France. So, um, I, went went down and was like hi i'm american can i ride um and the french have this wild system they have like a very bureaucratic system of riding like you can't just take lessons you have to if you start as a child up until i think you're 12 they put you on a pony like you can only ride ponies and then you like go up through different levels so you can't just like start it's like very strange so they put me in um they put me in galosant i think um, which is like their levels. Uh, I kept getting laughed at because it turns out like I come from a hunt seat background. My instructor kept yelling at me like, why are you so far forward? You know, and I was like, this is correct where I'm from. He couldn't fathom, just could not fathom that like hunt seat exists. He just couldn't fathom it because it doesn't exist in France. Mm -hmm. um, and I had so much trouble. I had so much trouble with that. Mm -hmm. um, it was so such a good experience. I don't think we've had anybody who's outside of 
the person who lives internationally, uh, oh. Lydia, that has ridden internationally and experienced the horse oh. industry in different cultures. Okay, so we got to France. Now next we need to talk about Mongolia. I did pick Mongolia because horses. And I lived with an amazing host family um, who were, you know, nomadic herders. And they, obviously there was a massive language barrier. They didn't speak English. I speak like five words of Mongolian. Um, but I got across to them like, oh, I ride. Um, and they were so excited because they, I, they had never hosted an American before and they didn't think of Americans as riding. Um, and so they like brought a horse and they brought me this lovely pinto mare with like a little colt, you know, who was just like a, not even weaned. Um, I would ride her around and, you know, we'd go, we'd spend a lot of the day like herding the sheep and the goats. And so it was really fun. You know, I got to go like hang out, just ride across the step, which was great. I mean, horsemanship is just so different. They're not kept in barns. You know, you basically go, they go to the herd and pull horse out of the herd and saddle it and go. So they're definitely not, it's not like the polished arena riding that we do. It's like, you know, if that horse acts up, you deal with it, you handle it. Um, right. I had such a fun time. I heard my Mongolian host family telling other Mongolian families, like, my American rides, does yours ride? <laughs> Which I thought was true. <laughs> and they would bring their friends to like look at me on the horse, they'd be like, look, she's on the <laughs> It was so funny to me. Uh, and they'd never seen, they'd never seen someone with curly hair. I had really long, long curly hair, like long 3C hair, it, you know, down to my back straightened. Um, and they'd never seen anyone with hair like mine. You know, they're between Russia and China, so they'd seen plenty of Russians, but no one who looked like me. Um, and so they, I remember one day I was washing my hair and because they live in Gares, which are, which is Mongolian word for yurts, you bathe in a bucket, basically. So I was like washing my hair in a bucket. The entire host family came to wash my hair with me because they had never touched hair like mine and they just wanted to like, it was so fascinating. And I didn't mind because at this point I lived with them and I was really close to them and they were so kind to me. Um, but it was, it was fascinating having been with people who'd like never seen someone who looked like me. They'd never seen this was the summer, so I was like three shades darker and tan too. They'd never seen anyone like with darker skin. How did you initially get into horses? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always, I've always loved animals. I was obsessed with dogs, like from the time I could first start talking. Um, I would like point out every dog on the street. And then I obviously live in the city, so I wasn't around a lot of horses. But my father used to work in Italy, and when he would work there, we would stay with his friends. I think it must have been business partners as well. We would stay with them. They had a gentleman's farm in Tuscany where they bred Hanoverians for show. And I think I was, it was like maybe 18 months the first time we went. Um, so just walking, you know, um, and we went several times over the years. Every summer he worked there, he would just take us, uh, my mom and myself. And they you know they would let me go through the horses and be around the horses and I fell in love I just I honestly I honest to god remember the first time I saw a horse and I just like the first time they let me hold the lead rope and I have a picture of it I was too I have a pacifier in my mouth I like don't even come up to the horse's knee I'm like really little um they let me hold this broodmare's lead rope and just like from that instant I just knew I was like this is it this is you know this is my first love this is what I'm going to do forever um, and it was just a strange thing for a two-year-old to feel, but I was just from that moment in love with it. 
Um, and then and they used to, not anymore, unfortunately, but Golden Gate Park, like the big park in San Francisco, used to have a barn. And so my mom would sometimes take me to ride. Um, and I was really little. I think I was in preschool. So I wasn't really taking lessons, but they would sit me on top of um, Rainbow was the horse's name. He was a big corridor horse and so old. He would literally close his eyes while he was walking around. Mm-hmm. And they would lead me around on him. And I just remember feeling like the most powerful person in the world. My feet didn't even reach the stirrups, you know. I, it was a western style. I was holding onto the horns. Like a breeze could have blown me off his back. But I felt like the most powerful person. I was so happy. They'd lead me around the yard, you know, at the slowest walk. And I was just, it was just the best thing in the world. Um, so obviously riding lessons are expensive and really time consuming if you're in the city. So I, beg, I begged for a horse for years. My parents were like, no, you know, we can't afford it. Um, so, but when I turned 10, my mom was like, look, when you turn 10, we'll get you riding lessons. So I started taking weekly lessons at a barn about 45 minutes from my house. Um, it was a hunt seat barn. And uh, the love just continued for there, from there. I think my mom thought I would grow out of it. And by the time I was 10, when I was still begging for a horse literally every single day, she, <laughs> she realized that the best thing to do was to give in. And um, I'm so grateful to her because I know, you know, we weren't wealthy growing up. So I, um, and, you know, I, I'm really grateful that she made the sacrifice and took the time out of her week to drive me 45 minutes there and back. Yeah. Um, so that I could, you know, learn to ride. Yeah, that's awesome. We shout out to our parents, man. Right. Yeah. The things that they do for us to pursue the random things we want to do (laughs) exactly especially especially all the horse parents who are not horse people themselves right but yeah shout out to those parents shout out to them what are some of the challenges that you have faced coming up learning all these disciplines just being an overall participant in the horse industry yeah um i think for me there were no other black kids at any barn I rode at growing up. There weren't even, I was, I am very light. Um, I was the darkest person there. I mean, like a lot of our grooms were from Mexico and people would assume I was Mexican or that I was like, I remember getting asked all the time if like the grooms were my dad, like one of the grooms was my dad, Um, which, you know, like, no. Um, I remember saying no, and I didn't understand really why people were asking that at first as a kid, because I was like, that's not, that's not my dad, like, my dad is a six-foot-tall, super-dark black guy, like, he doesn't look anything, you know, like this other man, and, and I, the grooms were great, and they were wonderful and lovely, but I was like, you know, that's not my dad, why do you think it's my dad? Um, oh, because you look alike, and I was, <laughs> no, no, we don't, um, but, you know, so that was strange, I'm literally, like, the only person of color riding and uh, sometimes I would see someone else and it would be like oh like a beacon in the storm it was so nice um but you know growing up in a a hunter jumper barn there it's a very particular climate I think um and I've since found a lot more sort of accepting and open places to ride um I no longer ride at that barn and it's made a whole world of difference but particularly when I was growing up in these sort of very rigid barns there were not a lot of people who looked like me um people who looked like me were not treated well um, we were seen as the help um, 
people like who look like me. You know, I was never a small kid. I was not overweight as a child, but I was really tall. So there's kind of one, oh, you're bigger than I thought you were, um, and that sort of thing growing up, which was never fun to hear as a child. Um, that sort of thing. Um, France was a different challenge. I do speak French. Um, I spoke it fluently at that point, a little less so now. Mm -hmm. But even when you speak a language, you don't necessarily know the worst terms <laughs> in that language. So he would be like, you know, telling me technical terms, which I knew in English, but didn't know in French. Um, mm -hmm. So that was challenging. I'd be like, can you define, he didn't speak English, so you'd have to like give me the definition in French while I was writing. You know, he'd be like, put your, you know, like whatever, do a half uh, do a what am I? What's I just totally forgot the word I'm looking for. Legios is the word I'm looking for. Legios, but then that's a totally different word in French. And I was like, what? He's like, how do you not know that? I was like, I don't, I don't know what you're saying to me. Right. Um, <laughs> so then I would learn that. You know, then I learned that. Um, I think it's been more challenging as I've gotten older. Um, I got kicked off of a team for so I had been on the team. And then I had been away for a bit um, and we got, I was still on the team. Like I was on the team roster. I was registered to compete. And then uh, we had gotten a new instructor and in in like a new coach in the interim. I hadn't met him. And so he was like, why don't you come down um, for tryouts just so I can see you ride. Like you're not trying out, you know, I just want to get to know you a little bit better. Um, and I was like, sure, perfect. They saw me and he was, and, um, hurtful things were whispered behind my back and my team captain who I love and I'm friends with comes up to me and is like they don't want to let you ride because they say you're too fat and she was like you know that's we're obviously really upset about that you know as your teammates and your friends so they pushed them to let me get on for you know the 15 minute like try out even though I wasn't trying out just so he could see me ride and yeah. he was like oh um because I didn't grow up competing so the level I was competing you know so the work like it's divided by division on the team. So like each person is competing in based on points. It's like a whole thing. So yeah. in the division that I was riding in, he's like, you're the best we have. You're actually the only one ready to compete, but I can't let you ride because of your weight. You're going to make my horses go lame. But the thing is, he didn't say this to me. He was, <laughs> I found out later when I asked him, why didn't you say this to my face? That he was afraid I would react badly, which is, you know, for a grown man to say that to like a 20 year old woman, Right. You're, what do you think I'm going to do to you? <laughs> like, um, angry black so that, girl. That was, that was terrible. It, I mean, yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure, like, how would race not at least play a part in that? But um, so he refused to talk to me. He wouldn't email me directly. I had to, like, go through all these other people. Um, I ended up sort of forcing his hand and the arrangement. He didn't let me compete because he was like, well, you're not practicing, so you can't compete. Even though we had no one on the team competing in my my levels, we were losing points every show. Um, because the thought of me on his part, he's like, you'll make them go lame. I was like, I don't make, at that point, I was leasing a pony. It was totally a thick pony, but totally fine carrying me. Um, and they came up with a solution that I could practice at another barn separate from all my teammates and then compete for them. Um, before I reached the solution, he proposed the solution through another person, of course, he wouldn't talk to me directly, uh, that I could work at the barn until I had fixed the problem, which he's like, you're good with horses, so you can work at the barn until you fix the problem. And I was like, I'm not going to work for, like, free labor for, no <laughs> for nothing. Like, I've worked for lessons in the past, but, like, he just wanted me to work 
for him until I was skinny, which is, I mean, what a con- what a concept. I wish um, there was like a group of people who could just go and just give these, just hand it to these people who think like this and come out their mouth saying these things. Yeah, I I sign me up, sign me up. Cause right. I- it was astounding. It was astounding. He was like, well, you know, if we're gonna have you ride on the team, we basically forced his hand, and he was like. We need to find a horse that can carry you because none of our horses can carry you. I'm like, you're 18, hand high, warm blood, can't carry, whatever. He's like, it has to be at least a draft cross. I was like, I've ridden so many non-draft crosses. I love draft crosses, but I was like, I'm, I was leasing a Mustang who was like 14-2 at the time. I've ridden like a 13 hand high Mongolian pony. You know, like I've grown up riding horses of all sizes and shapes who are not draft crosses. People and I didn't make them go lame. He was terrified. I'd make them go lame in two lessons a week. It was so, it was so strange. I am so, in so awe. I am in awe. I was, um, I was in awe too. And I think it was wild. Sorry, continue, please. No, I'm just, I'm still, I can't even get it out. I'm in awe of the audacity <laughs> of, of this person. <laughs> I think and part of it for me was the older white man wouldn't like I would the audacity in general to look at someone and be like you're over our weight limit you can't to look at them and be like you're too fat to I mean just to, uh, by sight I walked in so there's that but second of all that this older white man was too scared to come talk to me face to face about the issue that he had with me so he had to send another 20 year old woman to, like He's like, well, I thought you might react badly, you know, and I, I'm like, if you uh, have yeah. a problem with somebody, you sit them down like an adult and talk to them respectfully, right? I mean, that's what my mom taught me to do. I just, so I, I just that, like, that for me was as much of an insult as the whole situation. Yeah, that is, that's insane to me. I've never heard anything like that. Like, it was wild. And my instructor in California, she was like ready to throw hands. She's like, I'm going to fly out there. I'm ready to throw hands now, okay? And this happened in the past. Like, what's his name? Right. <laughs> we'll ma- we'll make him I a remember. I don't even remember. He's still, he's still the coach there. And I, I like blocked out his, I'm just, I'm, I, I don't even remember, <laughs> which is terrible. I should, but um, I think. Well, I think that. That, that was an eye opener for me. Yeah, yeah. And I think that says that is, that entire situation is a testament to your strength and resilience in the face of controversy or unacceptance of somebody. I mean, I don't even know why. Well, I know why he had the issue, but it was not warranted. You know, just in in the face of adversity. I mean, you're clearly when you know what you're passionate about. You know, it doesn't matter what other people say. It was so ridiculous. I cried. You know, I cried, and I called my mom crying. And my teammates were like, "We're not going to let this." I really. My teammates were actually the ones who were like, "Uh, <laughs> don't let this happen." Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was a fight. It was a fight, like a tooth and nail fight, which was so ridiculous to me. it, it was it was it was just such a ridiculous situation and, um it did it, honestly i mean that's why my instagram is titled the way it is it did inspire me in a lot of ways 
to be more vocal about what it's like to be somebody who doesn't fit the image of like a skinny white equestrian because there's so many of us who don't fit that image you know like regardless of race regardless of body size like there's so many people who don't fit that mold mm-hmm. and it's so important that we are able to have our voices heard and it's so important that there's a visibility i think i never saw anyone who looked like me growing up riding and that was really hard um it really it's important that you have representation of yourself in the media and i am right. disabled and i'm a person of color and i am you know not not a small skinny person um and so it was important for me like obviously am i a big influencer no but if one child sees one of my posts and says oh she kind of looks like me you know or oh she's disabled too and she's riding and she's doing the best she can then that's a success for me you know i just would love to help little kids feel not so alone in the horse world yeah yeah that is the essence of why we're doing this in the first place because i know i found your channel i found your um your podcast and your instagram and everything and i was i was so excited i think i, <laughs> I was so excited I, I mean it's such a wonderful thing that you guys do Mm-hmm. Um, because it is so important it is so important that we have visibility yeah yeah and I think sometimes like I know from a couple of the comments that we've gotten like it'll be like oh why why do you have to like make it known that you're black why does it have to be young black equestrians why can't it be all equestrians and I'm like okay all lives matter mm-hmm. um it's, it's, it's not that when you have an issue, when you have an issue, it's that black girl or that fat girl, or like you have no issue using that descriptor or placing descriptors right. on us when you have a problem. So if I want to embrace that and say, hey, you know what? I am that black girl and I'm gonna ride this horse's ass and you are gonna see how much I can ride, you know? That's what I'm gonna do. Exactly. Exactly. It's not, it's, it's such a funny, like, oh, well, why do you have to, like, yeah, why do you have to call attention to the differences? Because I'm not calling attention to them. It's because society has made it very clear that I'm different and I'm not the norm here. And mm-hmm. I want to make it okay to be not the norm. Right. And so, yeah, like my channel <laughs> or my, um, like all my social media is, is about the fact that I am plus size, I'm very open, I'm disabled, you know, I have chronic health conditions and they affect, they affect my riding massively, which is a whole, that's a whole story. <laughs> that's a whole story. But like, because if one person sees that and says, and it, they feel a little bit more okay with themselves, they feel a little bit less alone than I did as a kid, mm-hmm. then I mean, that's, that's important to me, mm-hmm. you know? Everyone should have a community and everyone deserves that everyone deserves to not feel ostracized because of what they look like or you know the way that their body performs which is so it's so i just it's so important to me that there are people out there who are very open and very proud about being like i'm a black equestrian and it's important to me and like i am putting my voice out there and you know my content is labeled as being by and for people of color and i love that i think it's so important yeah yeah that is the truth that is the truth and if we are advocating for ourselves who is going to do it because clearly 
discrimination would not be going on if certain people were doing it already. This wouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. It, no one, yeah, no one, no one else is going to do it for us. Mm-mm. You know, so yeah, I mean, that's the unfortunate truth of it. Is that I mean, sure, I'm sure there will be allies once more voices get to be heard. But right now, one, they're not that many voices being heard, you know? Yeah. I didn't realize that there was a Black equestrian community until sort of all this happened to me. And I, I started really searching because I was like, oh, man, I need a community that isn't going to be like this. <laughs> you know, I want to feel more at home riding. Mm-hmm. Um, I want riding to be fun again. And... I didn't, you know, I searched for it. I was like, this is amazing. Look at all these amazing people. But like, there's so many people who don't know that this exists. And mm-hmm. yeah, like who's gonna, who's gonna push for this? Who's going to push for equality in the show ring? Who's gonna, you know, like there's one of the girls on my, my team, she's no longer on the team. She moved on, but one of the most incredible writers I have ever met and so beautiful. Like she just, in terms, you know, she's one of those people who's just like a brilliant, gorgeous, talented writer, like just so wonderful, and she and so kind. Um, and they, she would never get because we competed at Humpeat Equitation, right? Which is quite, it, it's you know, pretty easy for judges to be biased. Um, right. She was dark, very dark, um, had long, had long uh, braids never placed more than second, even if you were watching and you were like, she objectively had the best round. And that was so frustrating. Mm-hmm. That was so frustrating, you know, watching that and being like, she's so talented, you know. And, and some, it, people so would, some people would hear that story and say, well, that just means you need to work harder. No, that's not what that means. And we all know that. And I just feel like it's exactly. a- Exactly. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not about her. (laughs) It's about somebody else's problem, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And unfortunately, that's so often the case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, I mean, the only way to combat that is to continue to represent for yourself and just put out good examples of quality horsemanship, quality riding, and quality like leadership as we kind of reach out to other people that are like us and try to develop this sense of community that spans disciplines. I mean, we just have to make these connections so that exactly it doesn't continue to propagate, you know, that, that, that feeling that you have in yourself of loneliness, of, you know, being criticized and not being treated fairly, you know, we just want to kind of foster that community that provides the support for the inevitable, you know, because everybody's going to have to, every person of color is going to have to deal with that reality because that's, that's the society we live in, you know, racism, racism doesn't just only you know, exist in does not end does not end outside the barn. It right. continues right in. Um, right. Right. Yeah. And I so. think um I, yeah, I mean honestly and the people I've met from the 
uh, Black Equestrian community has been so warm and so welcoming. And it was, it was like a slap in the face to me because I had never, like the best kind of slap in the face, a warm hug maybe, because I had never, I never had that, you know, in the equestrian community growing up. I had never had someone be like, oh, you know, cause I, I, I went to Bill Ticket Rodeo and when they came to Oakland last summer, which is a black rodeo. And I had never seen so many black people on horses. And I went up to people and I was like, look, I've never ridden Western, but I really just want to be at a barn where there are black people. And they were so wonderful. And they were like, come, you know, come and we'll show you, you know, how to ride Western. And I was like, that's amazing. I, you know, people were so warm and wonderful. Of course, right after that, I ended up like snapping a ligament in my leg and <laughs> still, have it, still haven't managed to do that because it's quarantine now, of course. So um, hopefully after all of this is over, I will be able to become more integrated into that community. But I mean, just what a, what a wonderful thing to, to have people who are so welcoming and, and, and so warm. You know, like the horse community overall needs more of that. Yeah, yeah, completely agree, 100%. Yeah, yeah. what would you say to these trainers who might watch um, and just, what would you say to them about how to talk and just be a regular old trainer around people who are different and don't fit that mold that you talked about earlier? What would you say to them? Because yeah. it happens um, too many times. Yes, oh, my bad. It just happens too many times that people say, oh, well, I've had this trainer and they discriminated against me or they said these things mm-hmm. and it just needs to stop at some point. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I actually have an amazing trainer now. She's a white woman, um, and uh, she's so wonderful about this. Um, she just, I think the thing is, don't look at somebody and see what, what they aren't, you know? See what they are, right? And take that person, I mean, just, just look at all your students as students, you know? And be like, don't look at it as the black student or fat. Just be like, this is my student. And like every student, they have, you know, we all have different needs and we all have different backgrounds and, you know, whatever. But like, she's so wonderful about meeting me where I am. Like I said, I'm disabled. It does affect my writing. So also I was really having, you know, a torn ligament. So that was, <laughs> that was exciting. Um, and she's so wonderful about just letting me be me, you know, and she's the most wonderful, incredible, horsewoman and also she's been just a great person for me um in my life and someone who I really look up to and genuinely care about um and so I think my advice to any trainer is I mean take your students as students don't treat them differently because they you know they're black or they're disabled you know like really just see your student as a student we have unique needs um if there's disability talk to your student um i'm open about you know what i can or can't do and that changes on a day-to-day basis so if i'm having a bad day i'm like look today is not the day to be (laughs) you know really working on these skills because my body will not uh you know i'll fall off i'll faint (laughs) or whatever um so maybe today is a day we just like walk and work on leg yields with the walk or something super slow and simple that's safe for me to do Um, or maybe today is just a day we work on the ground because there's so much to learn about horses on the ground too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's so much about just being respectful of every of every student of every person you encounter. Just being respectful of them as a person. Um, yeah, I mean, 
honestly, riding with her has really helped my self-confidence, even though she doesn't look like me, mm-hmm. because she's willing to throw in for me. You know, she's, she was in, so indignant on my behalf um, when I told her what happened with the other trainer. She was so, you know, she, she was a pillar of strength for me. Um, yeah, so I mean, anyone who's in the Bay Area, like, please contact me. I would love to pass on her name and information if anyone is looking for a trainer. Um, she's an incredibly talented person and just an incredibly wonderful, beautiful person. So. Oh, that's good. I know there's a lot of people, um, you know, that have bounced from barn to barn to trainer to trainer to you know whatever from school to out outside of school just Mm -hmm. trying to find somewhere that where they feel like home and i've always said like you go to where you see someone familiar but it's also a feeling where you you feel Mm -hmm. that familiarity um the person doesn't have to look like look like you but it it feels like home you know, and that makes you comfortable. People go where they feel comfortable Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be, you know, an all black barn. Like I'm going to be more comfortable there. No, it's, it's where, what makes you feel the best about yourself and about your writing. And I think, I feel like that's all that really matters to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's like, you're going to face opposition out in the horse world just because by virtue of it's just unfortunate it is what it is but if you can have a home base home base barn where you are accepted and you are encouraged and you know pushed to do your best in a way that is helpful and welcoming then that's that's so helpful for me and i've had more than one experience like that i um my last year of boarding school i leased two horses on a woman's property and she lived right by the school every day i go over to her barn um I would, you know, do the barn chores, ride the horses, work with the horses. And that was a huge experience for me as someone who'd never owned a horse, being able to go over every day and do horse care. And I, I, be, I'm, I became so close to her. I love her so, so much. Um, and she wasn't as much of an instructor for me, but more of like a mentor. And like eventually she became like family just because she gave me that space to, um, to be around the horses. She gave me, she put trust and faith in me, you know, to let me work with her horses. Mm-hmm. Um, to let me ride, to let me, you know, work on the ground with them, to just let me groom them if I was having a bad day. High school is hard, you know, so just let me groom them for hours if I was having a bad day, and uh, for, I will always be so grateful for that because, again, that was like this is a home, you know. I helped me build my confidence. It helped me. It helped give me a, give me a sort of a a base. Like, okay, I can do this no matter what other people are saying. Like, this is, you know, this is something I'm capable of. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I feel like we covered the next two questions, (laughs) but what vision do you have for yourself, um, in the future in the horse industry? Are you, you know, just looking to do it leisurely or more consistent? Yeah, um, for me, I mean, I would love to be, I would love for my health to get to a place where I am able to ride um at a higher level than I am now I've had a lot of health setbacks it's not even really that level it's more just like I would like to be able to ride sort of more than I have in the past several months um I have 
uh, severe neurological sleep disorder among other chronic illnesses. So my body will just lay. Like I, well, you know, when I talked about my issues in France, my French instructor thought I was a terrible writer. One, because I had an American position and he could not fathom that anything was different. Mm -hmm. You know, that there were different styles of writing, the French style. Two, because this was before I was diagnosed and recently after this neurological disorder onset. So I would be writing and keep, so envision, okay, trying to jump a course, right? You're riding, a lot of these horses were like warm blood, pretty high strong. You're riding pretty hot, big, you know, not like super hot, but like a pretty hot horse over course and your vision distorts and your hearing distorts, which I did not realize were part, were part of the neurological condition. I didn't know what was going on, but it's terrifying to ride and your senses just go. Like sometimes I'd fully, like fully lose vision, but like, you know, or like they would just distort to a point where I'm like, I can't really hear what's going on. I can't, my depth perception totally gone. Mm -hmm. So created this massive fear of jumping for me because like, if you're trying to jump and suddenly you can't like see the jumps properly, um, my condition is pretty similar to narcolepsy. So I'll get like sudden muscle weakness, but also I'll get, I'll fall asleep spontaneously. I've fallen asleep while riding horses before, which is really a very scary thing if you are moving <laughs> faster than a walk and you don't know what's happening. Like I know what's happening now. I didn't know what was happening. So, you know, it was terrifying and, and it knocked my confidence because I thought, well, I thought it was normal. I was like, everyone experiences this. So I'm a terrible rider. I will never be a good horse person. Turns out not everyone experiences that. And I was doing the best I could in a very bizarre situation. Mm -hmm. um, but so I think for me, it's kind of learning to trust myself again, and as well as sort of getting back to where I was before in terms of capability, building up, you know, my physical strength. Um, like I said, I'm like I, you know, recovered from an injury, so I need to get my strength back. Mm -hmm. um, and then in terms of like working with a disabled body, like learning how to ride in a way that is I have chronic pain so like is it less painful for me is you know like I would really like to be able to compete and I would really um like to be able to ride at a high level you know and be an experienced first woman but um it's learning how to do that in a way that is safe and feasible for me um I found side saddles a lot more comfortable for me for my chronic pain so like that that's great I love it um it involves a little bit of thinking outside the box. It involves really patient trainers who are willing to work with me and also, you know, think sort of outside of the box and who are willing to to do some sort of unorthodox things and um, who are able to listen to me when I tell them, you know, today I'm super capable or like today, you know, I've been falling asleep walking around and, you know, it's, it's I'm going to fall asleep on the horse. So let's just walk. Like, yeah. Learning when it's learning how to be safe. Um, yeah and I'm really you know at some point in the future I would love to open a barn and just let just let kids come and be with horses you know kids who need, who need a place to be safe and to feel safe like you <laughs> should just open a young black equestrian barn just yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm so down um I'm so so down um we just need a I, I think it's so just a, a what's it called a franchise <laughs> that would be amazing um yeah we you know definitely use a, a few sponsors and a, and, a, and a franchise going i think it would be amazing i mean how wonderful would that be um i'm an anthropology major i'm studying you know the relationship my interest is the relationship between people and their animals and people and their livestock 
across cultures. And I think that, um, especially in America, where access to horses is so frequently barred by, um, you know, financial concerns or by distance and location, like, how wonderful would it be to just have a barn where you just welcome people, you know, and you just are like, please come in, come on, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll show children how to ride, we'll, mm-hmm. um, we'll let them be around horses and they can, they can be welcome here regardless. Yeah, that would, that would be amazing. Let me add that to my list of things to do. <laughs> ever growing yes yes um what I, I feel like you have shared some very key things um as far as advice for people who want to be equestrians or who are coming up in a similar situation but if we could like package it if you know what what advice would you give to somebody um yeah I mean one I think is well what big one for me was um don't feel bad if you like don't hate yourself if you feel like your best isn't enough because sometimes people will tell you that you're not good enough um or you're you know you're not where you should be you should be improving more you should be improving faster like there's a lot of value and it does take a lot of practice and a lot of work, but there's a lot of value in saying, I'm doing what I need to be doing. I'm doing my best. Um, we all move at our own pace. We all have our challenges. And I am facing mine as best I can. Like, that would have been a huge, hugely important thing. So I wish I had learned that, you know, at 10 instead of at 20. Yeah. Um, I think also be open to experiences that you hadn't considered before. Um, be open to trying things you don't know where it'll lead um, and then yeah I think really if I were to pick a phrase it would be be kind to yourself and know your worth mm-hmm. that is the key those are life lessons right there mm-hmm. all of this can be applied to daily life uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that's the nice thing about riding, right? It's so much more than just a sport. It's, you know, it, it is. It's life lessons over and over and over again. No matter how arrogant you are, you're going to be humbled by a horse. <laughs> yeah. No matter how skilled you are, you're going to have setbacks. Like, it's, it, it's the best way to learn life lessons. I learned so many lessons about confidence, about forgiveness, about um, kindness, about patience from riding. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is major, major key right there. Um, Caitlin, do you have any other questions for her? Um, all the questions I wrote down, we went through them already. <laughs> no, I was like, see, I mean, that's like the best part when like the natural conversation, we don't have to like pull it out because it's, just, it's what you embody, you know, and it's you, you have a story and you have a message and once you let it go, like, that's it. It flows. It's out into the world. So I'm super thankful that you took the time to share your story with us because somebody's going to need to hear it, you know, and someone who, you know, might not be comfortable sharing the thing, the challenges that they are experiencing or, you know, just simply identify with, with you. Um, they they definitely will need to hear it. 
I mean, thank you guys so much for giving me a platform. Like I said, it's it's a dream of mine to, if I, if, you know, if hearing my story could just give one little girl a little bit of confidence, you know, just a little bit more, just a little bit more of a sense that I'm not alone, like, then I will consider <laughs> my social, my limited social media ventures a success. So I'm so grateful to you guys for having me. Um, and um, I also just want to put out there, like, I am so, so happy if anyone ever feels like they're dealing with any of the things that I've dealt with, they're feeling alone, if they would like to reach out to me, I am more than happy to talk to anyone. Um, the Plus Side of Sequestrian on Instagram, YouTube, and uh, Gmail as well. And then I've started a Facebook group called um, Equestrians of Color. Should be up and running fully in the next few days. Just, I'd like to foster as much of a community as possible, you know, among all disciplines, for people of all races, but really to have um, to have more of a sense of community because sometimes we just need the comfort and need the support of people who get what we're going through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the truth. That is the truth. We didn't even have to tell you to mention your your, your socials. We I know, I know. I'm like, shameless, I'm shameless self plug. <laughs> That is all right. That is what we are here for, to talk about ourselves, okay? <laughs> that is how it's going to go. My down. favorite topic. Honestly, I will talk about anything, but if, if, I'd love to talk, obviously. <laughs> but if someone's like, do you want to talk about yourself? Why, yes, I do. <laughs> that is too funny. Well, all right. Well, we're not going to take up too much more of your time. Thank you so much uh, for talking to us today. And we will let you know when the episode's going to go live. No, thank you guys so much. And I mean the same to you. If there's like ever anything I can do to help support your cause and, and what you're doing, like I said, I believe in it so strongly and I think it's so needed and so wonderful. So honestly, if, like ever, if there's anything I can do, please don't hesitate to ask. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. So thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Young Black Equestrians, the podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe on all podcasting platforms as well as our YouTube channel. Head over to our social media and let us know what you thought about this episode. See you guys next week.